0: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on in the study that we're doing in the book of Galatians, um, we're working through the New Testament a chapter at a time. We're, we've gotten through quite a bit of it in the last 140 weeks. Um, that's how long it's been uh, that we've uh, started the New Testament. We've still got a big chunk to go. And then we'll start working through the Old Testament together. And so we're pretty well mapped out for the next 17 and a half years. And. Uh, so make plans early, and uh, we'll keep on working through together. Um, so we've done the Gospels, and then we did the book of Acts, and then we, we started moving into the letters that Paul wrote back to the churches that he planted, and uh, because we have context now from the, for the missionary journeys, and uh, we're taking them the, the best that we understand in the order that they were written by Paul, back to the churches. We know that he's in Ephesus while he writes this letter, working there. Um, he's there for quite a long time in Ephesus. He's just finished writing back to the Corinthians, and now he's got an issue to deal with, uh, with the churches, uh, the, the Galatian churches. And, um, you know, remember, as you read through these things, the church is a brand new thing. They, uh, they're, they're figuring out as they go. Um, they have questions. Paul would get these churches started, and then he'd have to leave um, because he was run out of town or for whatever other reason uh, that he would ha- head out. He he would leave so fairly um, new people then in responsible positions. Um, they would have questions. The groups would have questions, and they would track down Paul and send him letters or send someone to him to find out what they should do about different situations. So Paul's responding back. Important to have context when you read through the letters that Paul writes, and all the guys wrote, knowing that they were writing them for a specific reason. They still apply to today, but you need to apply them in context. And Because, uh, uh, you know, when we went through the the letter to the Corinthians, and we saw the problems they had, they were virtually the same problems we still have today in the church. 2,000 la- years later, and we're still dealing with the same stuff. And that's uh, still the case. So so that's what's going on here. Now, in, in the book of Galatians, what we're dealing with, pardon me, is... Um, we introduced last week this the understanding that uh, this group of people who were jewish believers who were called judaizers had started had taken upon themselves to go to gentile churches and they were telling the gentiles that they needed to be circumcised in order to be really saved and that, um, in effect, what they were saying is you, you had to—they had to become Jewish in order to become Christians—and and this was causing, as you can imagine, a lot of problems in the Gentile churches. And, and so it was a huge struggle. And, and they were—the uh, the, the big issue becomes: This is real life found in Christ or in observing the law. Are we justified by following the law or having faith in Christ? Those are the issues that. Um, Paul was dealing with back with that church, and it's it's one of the threads in this uh, throughout this chapter that we're going to dig into, or this this book of uh, that we're going to dig into in Galatians. And so we we know where the situation is coming from. These Judaizers have shown up, and they've told them basically they're trying to put the kind of hammer down the church and put them under the law. And, and Paul is saying that's not how this works. And he spent the first chapter sort of defending his ministry and his, his apostleship and that the message that he preached um, was a direct revelation from God that, that he got during the, the whole thing on the road to Damascus and not made up by men. And he's dealing with the accusations that uh, the Judaizers have made that they have more authority than Paul because they've come from the church in Jerusalem, which we'll find out's not true. And that Paul's, Paul's been giving them a watered-down message because he's a people-pleaser. Again, which we also know when you spend any time reading Paul, that that's not what he was concerned about, even a little bit. And we just found that out in the church in Corinth. He loves those people. See, there's a difference. Paul loves people. He loves people, and the people love Paul, but he's not a people pleaser. He'll tell them the truth, but he does it in, in a very loving way. But he gets to the heart of things in order for things to get dealt with, because he loves people. That's what love looks like sometimes. So, um, as we move into the um, second chapter, we're going to see Paul uh, going to Jerusalem to deal with, uh, get, get some resolution to these issues. Um, that, he, that he can uh, have to present and, and, uh, um, and how um, we're going to look at another situation that because of this movement uh, in the church... Um, that, that Paul and Peter actually have a pretty sharp sort of controversy that has to be dealt with, which is really fascinating in the process. And, uh, and, and so, you know, because um, what the church is going to do as we dig in here in, in chapter 2, when he goes to Jerusalem, they're going to validate Paul's ministry as the apostle to the Gentiles in the same way that Peter was basically the apostle to the Jews. And, and so um, that's what we're going to look at today. Let's read Galatians chapter 2, 21 verses, and then we'll talk about it together for a few minutes beginning in verse 1. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders, for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. And for those who seemed to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing... To my message, On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ And not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, now, um, the first ten verses of Galatians chapter 2 have to deal with his trip that Paul's going to take to Jerusalem. This is 14 years after his initial trip, which happened a few years after his conversion, or shortly after his conversion, somewhere in that first three years. We know that um, uh, after he was converted, he spent some time preaching and stuff. He went to Jerusalem. Uh, We remember in the book of Acts, he started preaching there, um, and yet he was having such an impact that it was actually causing things to be so difficult on the church that they kind of asked him to go, uh, that it was causing way too much um, pressure. And so he, he left, and then we know for ten years he was, he was off, kind of not heard from much, studying and everything. And then Barnabas went and found him and brought him to the church in Antioch. And the church there took off, and from there, if you remember in our studies, then they were sent out, commissioned out, to go on these missionary journeys. And uh, that's my phone that's very embarrassing. <laughs> because I was busy and I didn't turn the ringer off. So... Uh, It'll stop in a minute, because now just fumbling for it would be even worse. So, uh, so please silence your cell phones. <laughs> ah, okay. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. I could have answered it and played the whole, hello? Oh, you want me to tell them that? Okay. God says, hi. <laughs> <clears throat> all right. So, 14 years, he goes back to Jerusalem because of this issue. And he, he needs to go and get this thing straightened out. It's causing problems all over the place. And uh, he takes Barnabas, who's traveled with him everywhere. He also takes Titus. Now, this is very interesting because Titus is sort of a living test case because Titus is a Gentile, an uncircumcised Gentile. And why it's so important is, and I think Paul wanted to see the reaction of the church, are they, are they going to do what they say in this process? Are they going to force him to get circumcised and take on the, the law and the yoke? Or are they just going to accept him where he's at? And sure enough, the church accepts him where he's at, that he's not compelled to be circumcised so it's a pretty significant deal in what happens in this encounter and, and that's why he's mentioned there Titus I really think Paul's saying let's go we're going to find out if they mean what they say and um, sure enough the church um, they, they affirm Paul's message which is the same message that they all preach they affirm his calling to the Gentiles, and all they basically end up saying is, look, just remember the poor, that's all we, we, we want to make sure it happens here. And he said, you know, I'm, I was eager to do that all along, and Paul demonstrated that. He's always taken up offerings and, in fact, is, is taking an offering up to help the poor in Jerusalem. So um, what he gets from that encounter now is that he has the, um, the absolute backing of the church in Jerusalem against these people who claimed to be from Jerusalem and really weren't. All right? And he's saying, no, the church has said, this is what we need to do. You don't need to take that on, and we're not going to take it on. Now, <clears throat> the whole letter, though, is is based on dealing with this, and we're going to see that in the next chapters in, in this whole issue. And um, the rest of chapter 2 has to do with a major principle that we're going to basically spend the time talking about today. And then then we'll talk about the actual events. But the issue has to do with real life and the law. Um, Ultimately, it has to do with shifting our focus from life to the law, which has been unfortunately the the habit of the established religious community. Um, Whatever it happens to be, over time, it tends to move away from life that they found and grace and all the neat things in God to establishing a bunch of rules and regulations. And and so the the critical issue that Paul needs to address again is that legalism is trying to come in and destroy the church. It's trying to steal away grace. It's trying to put everything back under law, which which is what we need to see in the process. When Jesus came... He did not come to point everybody back to intensifying their efforts to follow the law. That wasn't what his mission was. Uh, he came to offer an invitation to life, real life, full life, in relationship with God. That was the mission of Jesus. He spent uh, a big chunk of his time dealing with the established re- religious community, the Pharisees, trying to undo all the mess that they'd made. Now, and we've said this. We'll say it over and over again because it's a huge point. You make, make sure you get it. It's easy... It would easily, um, you could write off the Pharisees as evil, but they weren't. They, they, when the the group of the Pharisees started a couple hundred years before Christ, remember they started with noble purposes. The noble purpose was to protect Judaism from from the Greek influence, from being Hellenized, and so they got together to protect the, their their heritage, their 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 birthright, who they were here to represent. And yet over time, the way they did that was by adding rules, which is generally what starts to happen. And so now there's a, they start adding a rule for this, and a rule for that, and a rule for this. And before you know it, by the time of Jesus, there was 700-some rules just about the Sabbath. Um, you, you, the, and it got ridiculous about what could happen. if you, could, you, couldn't, you couldn't take an egg that was laid on the Sabbath unless it was laid a certain way. Um, there was actually a, a rule about a woman plucking a chin hair. Um, why they had to come up with that, I don't know. But not on the Sabbath, ladies. So, did you, but I, I only say that because you need to see how ridiculous it gets. And you think, well, that's ridiculous. And yet, the established religious community comes up with just such ridiculous things all the time. And it becomes, okay, so here's now the rules. Here's the, This is it, this is it, and, and we lose grace when we do it. Can't have grace. And the, what ultimately happens is in, in that um, setup, I was having this discussion with somebody the other day. See, there's, the, the way that this happens is, is how you look at it. There's, there's sort of a bounded set and, and, uh, uh, of looking at things and then a, then a centered set of, of people. A bounded set of people, what happens is, and there's no life there, is that they, they come up with a bunch of rules and regulations. And they determine who's in and who's out by how they follow the regulations. If they follow them or not, and you know, most people aren't following the rules anyway, how well they pretend they're following them or not, or how often they get caught following them. That's the deal, all right? And that determines who's in and who's out. All right, in a in a centered set, what happens is, what's at the center makes all the difference. Now, in the church, what's at the center is Jesus. And so what needs to be happening is, as long as people are heading to Jesus as the center, well, then then... It's not bounded by rules and regulations. Not that there's not principles, because there are in the Scripture, and there's ways to live, but, but all of us are sort of in process towards that. So when you know um, that what defines you then as a group is that you're all heading at Jesus, that changes things. And that was the whole issue in Corinthians. He was saying, let's not, let's not be all you know judgmental, but let's allow the Holy Spirit to um, move upon us and to help us figure out what we're supposed to be doing and what we're not supposed to be doing, rather than... Then causing division because that's what they did they kept getting their bounded set well if you don't do this then you can't be part of our group if you follow so and so you know if you follow paul then we don't want you because we follow apollos and then you know some of them follow this and some of them follow that and they're they're making their own bounded sets and jesus isn't at the center of any of them but in a in a in, when jesus is the center then what happens is you're moving by the spirit to jesus and you're you you do not define it by rules and regulations you define it by the the holy spirit and and people listen to the spirit and the grace of god and and then the thing that holds all that together is love remember that was paul's big thing with the corinthian church look love each other got to love each other better you're not loving each other well love one another and then in the in the context and in the movement of love then the holy spirit can move and transform us and change us which he's doing and I think it's important. I mean, how many of you can look back and see that over a period of time in your walk with Jesus, you're looking at some things differently now than you did when you first started? Um, there's just some things that are different, right? You, you don't, everything's not exactly the same. You've grown and you've had some new ideas. You've seen some things. You've experienced life. You've, and you, you know, hopefully you've gotten some grace poured on you. And you've, 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 and so, so we need to allow the Spirit of God to move. Now, <clears throat> um, See, the thing is that that righteousness, which is what we're shooting at, which is about right living, can never come through the law. It can't. That's why rules and regulations don't work. Only a new life in Christ can bring justification from God that results in restored relationship with God and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, who then has the power to transform us and help us to love and live in a way that honors God and blesses the world around us. See, not only is it is what we need to grow and to move together, it's what allows us to have impact in the world. If we become that bounded set that says this is in and this is out, then and it's not about Jesus being at the center, that everybody has to get pointed at Jesus, then what we do is we lose our impact on the world around us because we just become this judgmental group that doesn't know grace. And nobody wants to hang with it. Nobody. So it was, we have to look at that. And... <clears throat> As we look in and talk about the the big event, um, the 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 two verses that I want you to think about this week, as we move into chapters 3, 4, and 5, that really dig into this whole concept, are this. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So you've got to hang on to that. If if there was a way that the law, if the law could have worked, then Jesus didn't need to go to the cross, and it would have been absolutely for nothing. The Son of God, very God, did not need to go for the cross and exchange his life for our sin if we could have ever found a way to regulate salvation. And you can't. So Paul said, I'm I'm not going to set aside the grace of God. See what you guys are trying to do? I am not going to do it. Because remember, and Paul's a great one to speak into this, because you'll hear from Paul over time that if anybody had a reason to broast about being legalistic and and zealous, Paul had the resume. He had the best teachers and the best upbringing, and he was after the church, and he was doing everything by the book, and and yet he, he wasn't finding God in the process. So... You have to hold on to the context of those things if we look at this. Now, the big event that happens in chapter 2 in those verses is that Paul has to confront Peter. Based on everything I just told you, Paul has to confront Peter. And the big question would be why he has to do that. Here's what happens. Apparently, Paul, or Peter, comes for a visit to the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch um, was, was primarily Gentile. It had a core of Jewish believers, but was primarily a Gentile church. One of the very first ones that happened. And Peter um, comes to Antioch, and he's Peter. I mean, people know Peter. I mean, this is still early times. He's one of the he's one of the Big Twelve, and uh, so he's and he's probably the biggest of the Big Twelve uh, uh, in in time. And he shows up in Antioch, which is very cool. I mean, think about. It. So you ever try and think about that stuff? If you lived back then, how cool it would have been to have Peter walk in to the fellowship. Who's that guy? It's Peter. it comes to the church in Antioch and at first uh, he, he apparently fully participates in the life of the church and, and this church is a picture of the mixture of Jew and Gentile believers and Peter's in. Now remember Peter has working in him already the vision that God gave him about not to call anything impure that God has made clean in the sheet. Remember back in Acts 10? And he's seen in the household of Cornelius the Holy Spirit come and fill the Gentile believers. So Peter's in a pretty good spot as far as hanging out with Gentiles in the church. He's, he's been made aware firsthand by revelation of God that this is supposed to happen. And so when he first gets there, he's happy to fellowship and break bread with the believers in the church in Antioch. <clears throat> now, here's the thing. Um, what they ate together. People always here wonder why we eat all the time. I'm telling you, it's one of the most significant things in Scripture. When you eat together, it's a picture of fellowship and unity in the body of Christ that that is almost, uh, there's hardly anything else to compare um, with the power of the picture. And if you remember, the the Jews would would barely tolerate a Gentile anything, but one thing they absolutely would never do with a Gentile was eat with one. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. Never. And yet in the church, things are changing. In the church in Antioch, they had great fellowship and they ate together. And when Peter first gets there, he's hanging out and he's eating with them. And again, this this eating together is a picture of the unity of the church. That Jew and Gentile are all the same in Christ uh, and and that there's there's no separate camps going on in the church. Everything's going well until until the Judaizers show up in the church body. And when they show up, what happens is that Peter draws away... From the Gentiles. Because of their influence and their probable shock that he's eating with Gentiles and their comments, um, Peter begins to pull away from that part of the fellowship with the Gentiles. And and in effect, he stops eating with them. That's the big deal. He stops eating with the Gentiles. Um, When he does that, because he's Peter now, he's the Apostle Peter. He is in effect saying that there's two bodies of Christ, one that's Jewish and one that's Gentile. And this has a significant impact on the church because what it implies is that the Gentile believers are somehow second class citizens in the kingdom of God. And it's not true. It's just not true. It's not the case. And and so so what happens is um, because Peter's impacted by the Judaizers in this way, it starts to impact some of the other significant leaders in the church, including Barnabas. And Barnabas had been one of the first ones with Paul to go out and preach to the Gentiles. It, it, and so uh, imagine the hurt of the, in the people's hearts in the church in Antioch as they saw their Jewish friends pulling away from them and no longer wanting to fellowship with them after all the time that had taken place and them being told that they were you know, equal in, in the church. And so this, this action was extremely divisive, and that's when Paul says it's not in line with the truth of the gospel. And because it's Peter, Paul has to address it publicly. He can't just pull him aside in a back room and say, hey, knock it off. You know, get out there and eat some ribs with the Gentiles and do it now. Have a pork chop, sit down, <laughs> and make this thing right. Um, it, it, it's It's huge. And see, Paul sees more than the immediate hurt and division in the church in Antioch. What he's seeing is the deadly intrusion of law into the gospel message. And if it takes hold, it'll wipe the church out. It'll just—it'll just make it have no being, no bearing on the world. Just like the Pharisees had lost their impact. That's what Paul's really dealing with. So imagine this is the Apostle Paul, and and you know he catches a lot of flack because he wasn't with Jesus there in the initial group anyway, um, you know, and he had a special encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, but but now he's got to face-down Peter, one of the, one of Jesus' closest friends. A pillar in the church and he's got to do it publicly and he addresses him publicly in verses 14 through 21 is is the address he talks to Peter the whole time it's in quotation marks he doesn't change some people think oh he just got first 14 and let him have it there in 15 and then the rest is just an address and he, he just faces off to Peter and he goes this is a deal and uh, uh, he says you know we the the gospel message is about grace and, and Paul's main point throughout those verses is that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ. And those who have put their faith in Christ cannot mix the gospel and the law. Um, because if the law could have done it, this is what he's saying in front of everybody, then we wouldn't need Jesus. And that would mean the cross was for nothing. And that's the big encounter that happens there in that chapter. And, and in Galatians 3 and 4, you're, you're going to keep seeing now, Paul's going to have to uh, present the case um, as to why the law doesn't work, never did work, and don't be made a slave again to the law. So that's what's coming up. But now you know what happened, and, uh, and you'll be able to understand, hopefully, those chapters more clearly as we bring, uh, bring them up in the next few weeks. That's going to be it for today. If you're watching by video or on television, thank you for watching. And uh, we're very glad you spent the time with us. We're going to pray here as a group. But if you need anything, you can call us, write us, email us. We'll do whatever we can to uh, help you through that process.